0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and being with me all week long. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Carly Shimkis at the bottom of the hour, uh, Fox & Friends first co-anchor and author of a brand new book, uh, Cooking, uh, Cooking with Friends, Eat, Drink, and Be merry. When's that coming out? And so I don't even know that, uh, uh, Allison. Maybe you'll tell me later. Uh, and then uh, Admiral James Chavitas is standing by, and we have a lot going on now. We've got a border crisis, and we do have this breaking news story. And, in fact, we should probably get right into it. Uh, there's been a massive missile strike in the Black Sea, it looks like, and uh, they've blown up the headquarters, the Russian headquarters of the Black Sea. This is what we're, we're seeing. Let's bring Admiral James Chavitis. All he's done is become a best-selling author uh, multiple times, and all he did is uh, was the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Admiral, I, I don't know if you knew about this, but it looks like there's been a missile strike in the Black Sea.
4: It's a big deal. And this is on the Crimean Peninsula, where the uh, Russian Black Sea Fleet hangs its hat, a place called Sevastopol. I went there many times when I was commander of NATO. Um, This would be like a a strike on the Pentagon in the United States. That's where our Navy has its headquarters in the Pentagon. This particular building is a standalone, vitally important command and control center for the entire Black Sea Fleet of Russia. And this is uh, particularly heartening, Brian, because it shows us that the Ukrainians are putting to use very effectively some of these longer range systems that we're providing and then final thought here if you look at russia's strategy a big part of that is to use that black sea fleet to choke off the ukrainian economy to cut off the grain exports to just strangle them and so when you take out the headquarters you cut the head off the snake um, hopefully some of that senior leadership will have been targeted. Uh, all of that is a pretty good day for the Ukrainians.
3: Yeah, and, and yeah, it looks like a multiple missile strike. This came across 10 minutes ago, probably lots quicker to your desk. The footage shows black smoke coming out of the burning and partially collapsed building in the Russian-held Crimea, as you as you mentioned, and seeing it now, it, it looks like it's crushed in the middle. The Russians appointed governor there, uh, confirmed today the devastating attack. Uh, they launched a missile attack on the fleet headquarters. They have confirmed where residents of 500,000 live. Another attack was indeed possible. So let's see if it's done. You know what? And, and they are making progress on the counteroffensive. But that seems to have hit deaf ears on Capitol Hill amongst Republicans, where they're looking at some polls where I guess about 60 percent of the American people no longer want to give money to this cause. Admiral, what is your message?
4: Uh, I continue to be uh, uh, strongly in favor of supporting Ukraine for two big reasons, uh, both of which people ought to be able to understand. Number one, it's it's smart money to use uh, a very small amount of money in the big scheme of things to break this Russian military, which is a force for evil and darkness in the world. We've seen it Uh, Again and again and again in the way Russia operates. And so, uh, yes, we have given them $40 billion. And by the way, this is a fact. The Europeans have given $45 billion. The Europeans have given more money to Ukraine than we have. You also – hear some nonsense from naysayers about that. The the Europeans have stepped up. So for 40 billion from us, 45 from the Europeans, we are in the process of breaking Vladimir Putin's army. And to put those numbers in context, Brian, in the forever wars, when we took on the Islamic State and Al Qaeda uh, and, and the Taliban, we were spending $40 billion a month. Let that sink in. This is $40 billion over the last 19 months. It is good value. So that's reason one. And reason two is um, historically, we know what happens when we just try and walk away from the world. Bad actors rise up. We saw this uh, just under 100 years ago when we saw the rise of fascism in Europe, uh, the rise of uh, militant uh, actors in Japan. That led to the Second World War. Let's Let's nip this in the bud for a relatively little amount of money. And final thought, um, it's not U.S. soldiers in there fighting and dying. It's not even European soldiers fighting and dying. The Ukrainians are the ones fighting and dying and bleeding. We ought to support them. I think it makes a lot of sense.
3: Here is Josh Hawley, who vehemently disagrees with you on this uh, cut 16
5: we shouldn't be spending a dime more on ukraine we need an accounting of every dime that has been spent so far and i'm just tired of, of hearing the president say over and over that we've got to invest this is an investment in the future of every nation what about our nation it's not an investment in our future in our people in our jobs that needs to be the priority your
3: answer
4: um, I agree with him on one sentence, which is we need to account for everything. This has to be done transparently, efficiently, uh, but I am in constant contact with very senior officers, including my successor as supreme Allied commander in nato u uh, s Department of Defense is working very, very hard for the accountability in all these systems. I vehemently disagree with every other comment he makes there um, in the sense that this is $40 billion against a U.S. defense budget of $900 billion. We can afford to do this. We can do the right things here in the United States that we need to in our infrastructure, investing in chips, all the other things. But for $40 billion, and Senator Hawley knows that quite well, we can afford to do that. It's not a huge amount of money. And I think he's playing for political points, not using history and common sense uh, in terms of what we should do.
3: Right. Um, And just a quick question on this on the strike, from what we know, the Russian submarine, the kilo class submarine, are they there? Yeah, this
4: is yes, this is where their subs are typically parked in the piers that are just uh, a mile or two away from that naval headquarters. So um, I'm waiting to hear more. It's entirely conceivable to me the strikes may have included some of the Russian Black Sea units at the piers. And by the way, the Black Sea fleet is not, you know, uh, 400 ships. It's about 35 ships. They've already lost their flagship, the Moscow, which is on the bottom of the Black Sea. They've had four of their ships significantly damaged. They're already down 10 to 15 percent. Uh, let's hope the Ukrainians continue to pound them. That's a very significant part of this war.
3: In terms of the actual war on the front lines, I was looking for the Institute as study of war. And they say uh, that they're starting to make some significant progress on the ground. Um, and this is uh, this is how what Jack Keane was going over this morning. He said that the Russian forces currently are defending in Western Zaporizhia, Oblast, and have been unable to prevent Ukraine forces from making gradual but steady advances. Their forces conducted a series of drone and missile strikes uh, targeting the Russian airfield right there. That was a precursor. And the Russian forces conducted a notably large hit on Kyiv, that John Golan, for their power systems. But there is uh, an area, they said the... Ukrainian armed vehicles are operating behind, beyond the final line of the Russian defensive layer that the Ukrainian forces have in in that western uh, Zaporiza oblast. They're currently penetrating. They haven't taken them out and pushed them back, but they've gotten behind them. Now, that's a layman describing it. Now, you're a military guy. Can you bring some color to it?
4: (laughs) That's a totally accurate description, and here's why this is important. The Russians have— Uh, three layers of defense, once you get behind them, they are highly vulnerable. It's like getting inside the shell of a turtle. Once you're inside the shell of the turtle, the turtle uh, is very, very vulnerable. So what happens when that uh, pincer strikes and goes through those three lines of defense? Again, think of my turtle and cracking its shell. Now you're inside. You can turn left. You can turn right. You can go to the soft, vital organs in there. Um, Watch for combined arms attacks uh, going at those vital supply centers, those resupply routes, uh, the Russian artillery zones. Um, this potentially uh, could begin to look very good for the Ukrainians.
3: A guy that uh, thinks the war is absolutely necessary to be successful, uh, like a Nikki Haley does and like a Governor Christie does, so does Congressman Mike Waltz, as you know, he's a Florida congressman in Green Beret. Here's what he said last night to Laura, and he's been on the ground there, obviously, cut 20.
0: And when we've got our border out of control, every time an American goes to the gas pump, inflation's out of control, but yet to say more, more, more and put the burden, Biden wants to put the burden on the American people, not the Europeans, not the international community. And I'm at the point where unless we can get a strategy and the Europeans to step up, I can't continue uh, to support unlimited aid going forward.
3: And I can't play the whole interview, but he basically said, look, we eventually give him the Patriots after saying no. We eventually train pilots after saying no. We eventually give him high Mars after saying no. We're considering the attackums. We never got him the demining equipment. We haven't delivered one tank and he's going to bat for a strategy that he can't sign off on. So, you know how he feels about the necessary, the necessity for this to support this conflict. But do you understand his frustration too?
4: A hundred percent. And I'm a, Uh, I have known uh, Colonel Waltz, Congressman Waltz, for for quite a while. He's a four-time Bronze Star recipient. He certainly has the credibility to make these kind of comments. I would simply ask that he continue to pound away at the administration to get a strategy, and that strategy ought to move away from the incremental approach, and that's really the heart of his frustration. And, Brian, you and I have been talking about this for well over a year, F-16s, prime example. Um, If the Ukrainians had those F-16s right now, they would be cracking right through the Russian lines. So, yes, I share his frustration. His job, because he knows and understands ground combat deeply into his bones, Um, his job ought to be Here's the strategy we need. Here's how to get the weapons in play. He knows this fight is right. And I hope he continues to be a voice, um, a a candid one, an honest one, uh, holding the administration to account, but pushing them toward creating a strategy because we can succeed here.
3: This weekend, uh, tomorrow night, my interview with the General Secretary Stoltenberg of NATO Mm -hmm. that I I did at the U.N. this week Here's a cut from it, saying this is what happens if now certain Republicans get their way and we back out. Cut 25.
5: Yes, we are paying a price. but The price for not supporting Ukraine is much higher because that will make us vulnerable. Then we will really be in a more dangerous situation because then China will see that we uh, are not willing to stand up uh, for our values and protect democratic, independent nations. That will be a much higher price to pay in the long run for the United States and
6: for all the NATO
3: he he sees China as very much a message, very much to China. It's not either or, it is and.
4: 100% correct. And by the way, Jens Stoltenberg, and I can't wait to hear the whole interview, is a very credible, centrist, former prime minister of his native Norway. Uh, I know him well. He is a, a geopolitical thinker who understands how this connects to the broader world. And if we simply walk away from Ukraine. And again, I I need to keep emphasizing this is not a great deal of money, $40 billion, 19 months, and we've rocked the Russians back. That's, That's our annual defense budget is $900 billion. We can afford to do this, and we need to send that signal to China that we will stand with our allies. And and, oh, by the way, you and I both know uh, our reputation took a a serious hit in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. If we simply walk away from Ukraine, that will seal the deal. Who's going to want to be with us in Asia and Africa and Latin America if we demonstrate again, as we did in Afghanistan, unreliability?
3: Yeah, uh, I just uh, I just in fact, Kevin McCarthy turned down Zelensky when he asked to he asked Uh, to speak today. Through a joint session of Congress because he's getting pressure from his right, like guys I really like, like Byron Donald, said, no, no money for Ukraine. So it's frustrating because politics and world events, and we know in 10 years, maybe those some of those same people who go, why did we let Russia run over Ukraine? The same ones who said, how dare you only give blankets and MREs are the ones who don't want to spend now. So I can't get my head around this.
4: I am 100% with you, and and I am shocked at some of the very sensible people who are walking away from this bargain basement military operation that it could break the Russians, restart our reputation globally for being a reliable partner, strengthen our alliances all around the world. And, oh, by the way, the Europeans are kicking in more money than we are. Look it up. And so – it's very important, right. Brian, and uh, I am I'm so glad to be in a conversation with you. And I know there are folks that disagree with yep. both of us on this. I'm sure you're about to hear from somebody. Uh, yeah, us. I will. But, <laughs> but, but I I know, based on a lifetime of experience as a military officer and a geopolitician, um, this is the right course of action for us. You don't believe me? Ask Jack right. Keen. There's and- a guy with even more experience than me.
3: And also uh, people that fight wars uh, rarely yep. want to be in another war. You'd be the last uh. person to want to do it because you see it uh, as opposed to uh, it being a theory. You, you lived it for your entire career. And I guess we'll we take a break. But the last thing uh, to leave everyone with is that there should be pressure on France and Germany to do more. And there should be pressure on this administration to speak to the American people if you think the cause is right. Don't assume that people understand they don't speak to the American people. They leave it to Jack Keens, Admiral Tarvitas, Michael Waltz, Lindsey Graham to do it. And it's, and it's just not right. Uh, it should not be their cause. Uh, Admiral, thank you so much.
4: Pleasure to be with you, Brian. Happy Friday.
3: Back in a moment.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: I think he's too old to leave precedent
9: right now. Like, he doesn't know what's going on right now.
10: I see him diminishing as
1: far as his energy and the public life. I mean, it's like he had to drink a monster drink or something just to stay awake. You know what I mean? Like, he's really just very tired, and the job is arduous. So, I mean, you need someone with a little more energy level. Um, I think that will put him down.
11: I think he needs
9: to be in front of voters to show that he's not the sort of doddering old man that the Republicans are trying to make him out to be. So that random voters
3: in Pennsylvania where Dave McCormick is going to run against Casey to try to get that seat. He almost beat Dr. Oz in the primary. Uh, He's a military guy, West Point grad, who actually became a self-made multimillionaire. And now he just wants to be senator from Pennsylvania. And he'll dress the part. So that gives you an idea. I could not believe this. Seventy two percent of the American public overall thinks the president's too old for a second term. And then yesterday in a pool reporting from Politico, he told the same story within two minutes of each other about why he got in the race. And he blamed what happened at Charlottesville. OK, we know about that. I know about the story. He said it 20 times. Then he takes a break and then he comes back and tells the same story verbatim about why he got in the race because of Charlottesville and the President Trump's comments afterwards. My goodness, when Politico is the pool reporter and they report this, are you still going to pretend that there's no panic on the left that Joe Biden is running again? And I'm reading Mark uh, Lefkowitz, uh, and he wrote in The Atlantic that Joe Biden's really breaking his word because he said he was a bridge to the next generation, basically intimating that he's going to run one term. And a lot of people on the left go, you're breaking your word. Remember, Teddy Roosevelt said that could run another term. He always regretted it, but didn't want to break his word. Biden has no problem doing that, evidently.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: We're back. I love this. Uh, Eric rarely does this. Uh, Eric and Allison. You know, they'll always say, hey, what do you want to start with? But since Carly Shimkus is here, she's, he's like, let's just play defense. Let's just find out what she wants to talk about. Oh, wow. right? I get is, to pick? Eric, that's pretty much a compliment. Am I correct? The fact that we bumped in without a soundbite?
1: Holy He's only cow. giving me a nod. Yeah. yeah.
3: Right. Eric that's how, radio. Because he knows you Nons are don't you transfer. Know, <laughs> multiply talented. Kidding.
1: Thank you so much. And
3: we're excited about your new book, Cooking with Friends, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. When is that out?
1: Well, first of all, it's our book because, Brian, you have a recipe in it as well. But it comes out on October 10th.
3: October 10th? Yes. So we're kind of in competition. Why am I having you on?
1: Wait, what do you mean? Is your book? You no, know, your book's out November 7th, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: But you'll still be. How about in the, me for
1: remembering the uh, date of your book release?
3: Uh, I know. Should I have a book party?
1: Well, uh, the reason I remember that your book was re- is going to be released on November seventh is because it's my birthday. So oh my you should goodness. have a book slash birthday party.
3: But you'll end up being the headliner. Oh no, no, end up no, being no! All about Carly.
1: No, no. I take, uh, I take second to history uh, and the, the way pres- it was written by you, uh,
3: uh, Teddy and Booker T. That's right. Yes. Uh, two American icons blazed a path to racial equality.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, Do I really still get to? This is like Christmas. I could talk about anything.
3: Well, uh, okay. A couple of things happen. We do have to talk about uh, President Biden because— Who's
1: that? Just joking.
3: Right. Uh-huh. I was just saying when we were going to break that he still repeated the same exact story within two minutes of each other, yeah. and it's not somebody just randomly reported. It was the pool reporter, political right. reporter. And it was this story about Charlottesville. And the response has been uh, broad. Number one, a lot of people kind of angry because, number one, he keeps on saying a, a, a misrepresentation of what happened at Charlottesville and President Trump's comments afterwards— uh, and then he continues to say the same story that's why I got in maybe it is the reason he got in but to re- did you ever know anyone that repeated the same story within 2 minutes no, of each th- other
1: that is uh that is genuinely concerning and it wasn't just that he repeated the same story like he added in addition to what he had previously said he it was almost word for word the same story within the you know a couple minutes uh, so yeah that's that's not going to help but with the poll numbers and the concerns and it's going to be really interesting to see how the um, campaign plays out because, of course, last time COVID really helped him because people were hunkering down still during the campaign and he was, you know, in Delaware. And now he's going to be out on the campaign trail, apparently.
3: Well, you know what the format's going to be? So small fundraisers. Uh, Gavin Newsom.
1: Is out oh, there. The governor. Yeah.
3: Uh, the governor of Illinois, the governor of Colorado, the governor of Pennsylvania. The vice
1: president will the be vice president. as well.
3: She's not really much of a help, but she'll be doing different appearances and fundraisers. And President Trump could very much be in the courtroom a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think that he will have to be. But if it was anybody else, I would say, wow, I don't know if that person can handle it. And it really is whether you like President Trump, former President Trump or not, I mean, man, the guy has no quit. He's got right. the energy. And he off on that. Did you see him at yeah. a bar
3: in Iowa yesterday? Yeah.
1: He was buying people pizzas.
3: So here's, here's the response. Um, here's um, Wow, this is interesting. I just want to give you the response to him repeating the same story twice, and that was put out on Politico. Mm-hmm. Joel Pollack says this. It's a lie that he memorized in 2019 and has repeated since veins bulging. Ah, uh, Jake Schneider writes this sarcastically. This is completely fine. He's the RNC's rapid refi- rapid response team, mm-hmm. and this is from somebody else of importance, an Austin area attorney. Would be elder abuse if he runs again. Mm-hmm. That is pretty much how people feel. And I'll tell you, I if I was a aspiring politician, if I was governor, I wouldn't care. I would run, I'd be running. If I was Gavin Newsom, do you think that Barack Obama has permission for here's, the higher ups?
1: Uh, here's what I think is happening though with Gavin Newsom. I mean. I don't, there hasn't been in modern, in recent history, any incumbent president that has lost the primary. So in twenty twenty eight, Gavin Newsom's still young. So why 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 not just wait four years? I, I'm sure that Ron DeSantis is thinking maybe I should have waited those four years. And maybe Gavin Newsom learned from watching Ron DeSantis and saying, you know what, I'm going to campaign, pay my dues. He is being so complimentary complimentary to Joe Biden right now, building up with the DNC, and then he's going to wait for years and jump That
3: could be one, but we also know if you think that window's open, Governor Christie, go run through it, like yeah. when Mitt Romney got the nomination. Yeah, this is yeah, just yeah. in you. It's going to interest you. Authorities to charge U.S. Senator Bob Menendez and wife today. Some ridiculous... Uh, and I'm sure this is coming out right now. Yeah. Uh, this would be the second time Menendez has been indicted. He stood trial several years ago. Jack Smith prosecuted him. the uh, bribery. They ended uh, the mistrial. But the New Jersey Democrat is up for reelection. Uh, this is, I'll read more of it, uh, cold. Uh, the attorney will announce today the unsealing of an indictment charging Bob Menendez, the U.S. Senator from New York, Jersey, and his wife, Nadine Menendez, oh, no. with bribery offenses in connection with their corrupt relationship with three New Jersey businessmen. Uh, and they list them, this Wilhana, uh, Fred Dibes, in which Menendez and Nadine allegedly accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for using Menendez's power and influence as a senator to seek and protect and enrich those three businessmen and benefit the government of Egypt. Now, do you know about what happened at the last indictment uh, that people thought he is- just escaped? yeah. Uh, now that that last indictment, by the way, Jack Smith failed to get a conviction there. Menendez wins six more years. I think he's up, isn't what he? Up? Is he what is he up for reelection? He's up this year for reelection, I think.
11: It's soon. Let I me mean, look up the specific. And by the way,
3: this is a woman that was broke when he married her, and she started wheeling her deal. And I was reading about this story about a month ago. Uh-huh. And then she maybe got over her skis a little bit. And now Senator Menendez has found himself ankle deep in trouble.
1: Well, I, listen, the, yeah, certainly. Uh, let's see. I don't know when he's up. Twenty eighteen New Jersey Senate election. So yeah, he would be up very be, soon. He's up. Yeah. He's, wow. So that. Well, new, listen, it's New Jersey, so I, you'd be hard pressed to find a Republican who could take that seat. But remember, we'll see.
3: The governor almost lost in New Jersey, and remember Christie was there before. Yeah. So Murphy almost lost just yeah. percentage points, no. and you wonder. That was
1: a big surprise. I mean, you
3: know what I'm wondering? Oh, I, I guess he didn't. He only left with twenty something percent, twenty uh, something percent approval rating when Tommy was done.
1: Who, well, Governor Christie. Yeah.
3: I wonder if he would be at all interested in the Senate seat as he runs for. It would
1: be really interesting to see how Doesn't he would seem fare the type. <laughs> in New Jersey. I don't know. I mean, it, what else, you know, he's done he's done the media thing. He's been out of office for a while and maybe in New Jersey an anti-Trump conservative would play well. I I don't know. Just pontificating right. here.
3: Yeah, so we'll see what happens. But I don't know if Democrats are going to say, listen, Bob, this is the second time. Yeah. You got to step aside.
1: Yeah, the it, The two headlines that I know about Bob Menendez are the you know legal controversies. And also, every now and then, he says something pretty smart on, on foreign policy. So he does have that going for like, him. Like,
3: for example, he thought the Iran deal was terrible. Yeah. He would never have signed off on it. Schumer was not going to sign off on it. Crossed party
1: lines on that front.
3: Yeah, uh, um, when it comes to foreign policy, but he's been very quiet. And by the way, when you do that, you lose, you lose a lot of... Uh, gravitas mm-hmm. with the party. Yeah. Which means I'm about ready to throw you over. Like for example, they need mansion, but as soon as they don't need mansion, they can't wait to get rid of him.
1: Without question.
3: All right. So we'll we'll follow that. Yep. The other thing is about Joe Biden yesterday, he's given a speech and we'll talk a little bit about 2024. And while he's given that speech, he's trying to focus on one thing that he's been bleeding and that is support for the Hispan- uh, for the Hispanic vote in the Hispanic community. Yesterday, in addressing the Hispanic community, he called them Congressional Black Caucus instead of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. I mean.
1: That's another thing. That one was not good. You know, I was uh, I interviewed a Hispanic panel on Fox and Friends first uh, yesterday. And I thought that something that one of the guys said was very interesting. He's from Venezuela. And by the way, I asked him about the visas that the Biden administration just handed out to four hundred and seventy thousand illegal immigrants from Venezuela so that they get work visas. Um, and I said, how do you feel about that? You know, he's from Venezuela as well. And he was like, listen, do you know what my family did to immigrate here legally? He, they went to Brazil. For years they spent time in Brazil, then they finally moved to Puerto Rico, and then they were able to be naturalized citizens into the United States, but it took 12 years. Now, you can say that 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 takes too long, and maybe something needs to be worked out there, but he was— So mad that all of these illegal immigrants in their country is a mess. And I understand if I was from Venezuela, listen, I'd want to be here, too. So you understand from a, you know, from a human standpoint, you feel for these people. But I think it is interesting that a lot of Hispanic, the uh, Biden administration and Democrats are definitely playing towards uh, the Hispanic vote and thinking that this will be very popular with them. But Republicans right now, have never had stronger support among Hispanic voters. Right.
3: And that's what they thought. We're going to let all these Hispanics in. We'll get credit for it. And we'll get the Hispanic vote. Yeah. And it's not happening. And that's what I, I believe, that Cesar Chavez's bust is in the Oval Office, right behind Joe Biden. I think that's the reason. And guess what? His granddaughter is his campaign manager. Yeah. She never ran any campaign. Someone told me that there's only between six and ten people on his re-election campaign team.
1: I know. It's a real slow start, too, getting that... Uh, headquarters built.
3: So, so Tudor Dixon, who ran a strong campaign but not good enough uh, to beat Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, has become a very, good I think, very insightful pundit and political observer. She said this about what's happening on the ground behind the scenes under the feet of Joe Biden. Cut 34.
1: Democrats are even nervous about this right now. You see all of the polite sharks circling the water. You've got Whitmer in New York. You've got Pritzker in New York. You've got Newsom in New York. And now he's coming out and he's being very nice. You know, he's not even worthy of running for president when Joe Biden's on the ticket. But let me assure you, they are parading out their prize pigs to donors saying, take a look at this one. Do you think this one can win if we have to take Joe out? They're definitely nervous. They've definitely got people out there on the ground trying to say, okay, they can step in if necessary. And there's quite a good possibility that as we talk about his cognitive decline, that they're going to have to take him out. I mean, let's face it, even Joe says it's time for him to go to bed. Yeah. That's how he
3: had this I wonder
1: if that's true. The uh, counter to that is that it is up to Joe Biden. And what if he has to pardon his son? Wouldn't he, could, he want to stay in office simply for that reason? Well, you know,
3: they said he could probably do it in the interim. He could probably like do it he's while he's duck. still here uh you know he'd probably do it, and as he's a lame duck or while he yeah oh, while he's a lame man. duck in the year or but the like, time in which he I loses
1: mean, it, it, he clock is ticking and he will be eighty six at the end of a second term,
3: yeah, Just, and not not a spry eighty six
1: no no, not even. Not even now.
3: I mean, did you see Chuck Grassley with Ainsley over the weekend? That
1: was such a great piece. I loved it. you he's, think he's too old? That runs three times a week? Uh, yeah, I know. It's amazing. He was serving up ice cream, and I loved him with his wife. They were, like, telling stories, and they were correcting each other. He's like, no, it wasn't that year. It was this year we did that. We've right. been married for 75 years, not 74. <laughs> right.
3: So if just because uh, just because you've been married for that long doesn't mean you get along. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I take away from that. No. And you, it does. Like they
1: get along great. Right. It's cute.
3: Um, listen, uh, Carly's going to stick around a little bit. We're going to continue to follow this story. Senator Menendez mm-hmm. has been indicted. Who hasn't been at this point? Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show
1: it's sort of a reporting tactic when you want someone to respond, you kind of have to indicate that there might be something negative and then you get them to engage. That's all I was trying to do. I really wanted them to engage with me.
5: That is a sad state of journalism. If that's a tactic that you have to, what I would say is make up something about somebody.
3: So Dave Portnoy of Barstool found out they were doing a hit job uh, on, at the Washington post that they were trying to call up the sponsors and basically badger them into dropping out of his uh, one bite pizza contest over the weekend in Coney Island, New York. And Barstool is this cutting edge uh, podcast and really channel and organization that Dave Portnoy founded. He used to be a used to be a flyer, then a magazine. Now it's his successful podcast and he's uh, outrageously popular. And he was there. Was sexual harassment uh, charges against him, or claims against him? He confronted them both. Explained it all. Whatever it is, they were trying to intimidate his sponsors to not sponsor the pizza event. So Dave Portnoy called up the reporter and put her on and recorded the whole thing. She denied sending a letter to his sponsors until he says, "I'm reading the letter." Carly Shimkus is here. Carly, what stands yeah. out with you in this story Then, would con- confront your accuser?
1: Well, it was a couple things. things. Uh, it was an absolute takedown. And I thought that he kept his cool. She also kept her cool as well um, and was able to, although she did get she was very caught off guard in the beginning and lied about not sending the letter. And then she was able to she was able to maintain her composure. But more than this is more a story about his behavior than hers. Um, and it's clear that he has been the center of media criticism many times before, and he's learned a lot of lessons. He said, uh, on the onset of this conversation, "I am recording you," and she acknowledged it, and they continued their conversation. And I am very confused by the absolute vitriol that Barstool Sports faces, All the because time. it is a it's a. It's an Instagram account. They're content creators. It has a- it has absolutely nothing to do with politics. The only thing that I can think of is that the audience tends to lean le- uh, right because they do tell some off color you know, sort of you know not PC jokes, and the left doesn't really take them as jokes anymore. There's a lot of offense there, so I think it appeals more towards men and no more question. towards conservative men, and that may be the reason for all the criticism. It's like a locker
3: room, and guys, yeah. guys like hearing But listen, it.
1: there are a lot of women that have benefited from Barstool as well. Some of the most popular podcast hosts that are female are because they started on Barstool.
3: So here's Portnoy explaining this last night on Primetime, Cut 43.
5: The only thing I come up with is, in this era, ever since Trump came on the scene, I feel like people's brains just got broken— um, the Washington Post is widely a left-leaning organization, like the New York Times, like Business Insider. Uh, it's the same group. It's like, unfortunately, uh, I know whether I'm going to be talked about positively or negatively just by the name of the organization that I'm about to read. If it's Fox, I know it's probably going to be good. If I know it's, uh, you know, the Washington Post is going to be bad, and that is a sad state on both aisles, to be honest. Um you, you kind of can predict what's going to happen before it happens.
3: Yeah. But he he does have this habit of, if you have a problem with me, I'm confronting you. Yeah. Uh, he had a accuser, a woman come out, and he says, uh, describe the situation with him. He goes, I'm going to address it directly. Yeah. And He does it.
1: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. The other thing that I liked that he kept on saying is he's like, you confronted these small businesses with, would you, essentially, do you want to be associated with misogyny and controversial comments? How, why wouldn't you say something like, Dave Portnoy also raised $50 million during the 500 pandemic. $500 Really? Yeah. $500 million during the pandemic for small businesses. Also, this whole article was based on the fact that he's hosting a pizza festival for small bu- So what would the hit piece I know. do? I, I know. mean, does, does she just want to ruin the pizza festival?
3: Coke and, and these other sponsors that want to be a part of it. They go, you've got to bow out. I hate the boycott situation. I mean, I have no idea. But the Bud Light thing was just an organic thing. There was no organization behind it, as right. far as I could tell. But people just say, no, "Yeah, that was that's, hor- that's horrific." Yeah, right. But I, you know, so if, if Carly, uh, I have not seen it, but if you were drinking a Bud Light, I wouldn't think less of you. But people right now are yeah. shaming people that are drinking yeah. Bud Light. You
1: know what? Okay, so I go to this uh, Irish pub by where I live uh, a lot. My husband and Long I do. Later
3: oh, with your husband? and
1: Brock, you know, for brunch, oh. and we got to know the uh, the owner of it. Actually, I got to know him during the pandemic because I was interviewing small businesses for a piece on Fox and Friends, and. um, he said – now, this is New York. I don't know this guy's political affiliation whatsoever. This is New York City. He said that he had to use all of his cases of Bud Light that he bought to make fish and chips because it wasn't selling and it was just wasting space. He changed the tap to Miller Lite.
3: Oh, my I goodness. also like the fish and, and
1: chips detail. I was like, good use, beer-battered fish.
3: <laughs> I, did, I just picked that up. Arthur Treachers yeah. used to do it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I was out on the street yesterday doing stand ups for the special for Teddy and Booker T. Uh-huh. There's a lot of hostility out there. Yeah. There's. I, it's a right? crazy
1: time, man. It is
3: crazy. Yeah. Uh, Carly, thanks so much. Absolutely. Congratulations my pleasure. on your soon to be released book. Our book. Cooking with Friends. Yes. Eat, Drink, and Be Merry.
1: Bingo. Carly Shimkus. Bye bye.
2: From High home, Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
3: Uh, yeah, there we go. From uh, from New York, New York. Uh, 10036, the zip code. This is Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Dan Bilak joins me from Ukraine in a matter of moments. Uh, Dr. Todd Rose, what is the American dream? Dr. Todd Rose, a fascinating guy, did a study co-founder of the president of Populous and the Wall Street Journal bestseller of Collective Illusions, Dark Horse and the End of Average. He talks about what the American dream is. Now, think about to yourself what you think your American dream is. I was shocked at the I was shocked at what the study revealed. But before we get to Dan Belak, uh, who is a member of the Territorial Defense Fund of Ukraine, uh, we got to get to the, that story because there has been a big explosion in the Black Sea. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know,
8: it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think he's too old to be president right now. Like, he doesn't know what's
10: going on right now. I see him diminishing.
9: I think he needs to be in front of voters to show that he's not the sort of doddering old man that the Republicans are trying to make him out to be.
3: Good Good luck with that, because it turns out he is. 2024, hope for Haley, more traction for Trump, and extreme worry for Joe as he repeats the same story twice in three minutes and misidentifies the audience he's addressing.
12: Number two.
13: I don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea up and having the debate. And then you got all the amendments that you don't like the bill. This is a whole new concept of individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. It's uh, true. It doesn't work.
3: Losing support. This is happening amongst Republicans in Congress when it comes to supporting the Ukraine war. The cause is right. The Biden tactics are terrible. Slow walking aid, not defining the mission, holding back weapons, not pressuring allies, has the GOP ready to balk. Is that the response we need and one the Russians were hoping for?
10: Number one. We've already delivered over $1 billion that Congress appropriated to states and cities receiving immigrants. I've requested more funding, but instead of stepping up... The solutions. Republicans are threatening
3: to shut down the government. Oh, my goodness. The border is bla- uh, blasted open and the Biden administration is solely to blame. But they want you to think it was MAGA Republicans. Not only do you not buy it, the dem uh, mayors and governors aren't buying it either. They're blaming Joe Biden next to Afghanistan and that debacle. This is Joe's most epic, holistic fail, comprehensive fail. Let's bring in Dan Belak. Dan, what can you tell me first off, I hope you're okay. I know you go in and out of the front lines. Uh what could you tell us about this huge explosion of the Black Sea? Uh
7: thanks, Brian. Well, look, this is this is Tanamount. I understand you had General Stavridis on your on your show earlier. Yeah. Uh when he compared this to hitting the Pentagon and you know, this, this should be a signal to—we we, we took out the Black Sea uh, headquarters today, the Black Sea Fleet headquarters. And and the reason we're doing this is because they're hitting us, our cities, and our and our critical infrastructure, like our energy uh, uh, plants and things like that. Uh, they're fighting the Ukrainian people, and they're sending the rockets out of ships uh, from, from the Black Sea. And so we— we are fighting back, and we're fighting back smart. We're fighting back asymmetrical. I mean, I'm really concerned, Brian, by a lot of the narrative that is coming out of uh, different places, but in, in, especially the United States, that somehow our counteroffensive is faltering. Yeah. that we're failing. That we're not making making headway. I mean, this. I really hope that this puts paid uh, to this. You and I have talked before that we were we were taught that we had to use combined arms warfare doctrine that NATO has. Which is infantry, armor, uh, uh, and and aircraft, as well as artillery. Uh, except that you're not giving us, or we don't have, uh, the aircraft. So we're we're doing our own combined arms warfare maneuvering. We're using we're being smart. We're using the the armor that we're getting from the United States. We're preserving it. We're preserving the lives of our people. We're moving in we've We've now breached the uh, the lines of the the defensive lines in the south that the that the Russians have put up that people said we'll never get through. And but we're combining that with going after them in their assets, their military assets, in in the Black Sea. This is the second strike we've actually had. On, on their on their headquarters there was a reserve headquarters that we took out two days ago and now we hit hit the main one um, we hit their 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 airfields in crimea the other day and took out uh, and damaged or took out 12 uh, fighter bombers so we are degrading them in a massive way that they that they cannot replace easily and we're degrading them on the ground as well both because because we're, we're, we're cutting off their, their lines of communication, their supply lines, we're, we're killing their artillery. Um, they have to move their elite troops from the Donbass down to the south, back from the south up to the Donbass. And they're, in, they're incurring really heavy casualties. And, and we're moving forward. You know, we are winning, Brian. And the American people need to understand that they are getting really good bang for their buck. All the weapons, you know people say, "Well, where, where are your weapons going?" hear some Congressmen say, "You know we want accountability. The best accountability is that those weapon systems that the United States people of the United States have provided to us are being used effectively on the ground, and we're moving, we're moving and we're so, winning, and it's just not, it's just not a, a fast action film. This isn't over in two hours, right? The sun is and reporting if, the, you
3: know, the, the sun is reporting that a French supplied storm shadow missile. Uh, went into the building. The enemy launched a missile, this is what they're saying, the appointed governor of Crimea. The enemy's launched a missile attack into the fleet headquarters. At least one serviceman was reported missing following the strike. Six are said to have been injured. The ministry also claimed that five missiles had been shot down while conceding that one had hit its target. Twenty-five ambulances reported rushing to the symbolic headquarters of the naval port to battle the blaze while debris from the missile attack was scattered over hundreds of meters The strike marks one of the most significant Ukrainian attacks of the entire war came at a perfect time because I'm listening to a lot of knuckleheads just coming out saying, well, enough of this. We need our border done and we have domestic programs and need attending to. We have a defense budget and we have domestic budget. These two are separate things. But it's your uh, your president Zelensky was turned down when asked to address a joint session of Congress by a Republican Speaker McCarthy.
7: Yeah, uh, look, we 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 are we are using our own version. We are developing our own version of combined arms warfare doctrine. We are combining US arms and our allies arms with our arms. Our, we we're developing a uh, a new missile systems. We just developed a new electronic warfare system. We've made your weapons interoperable, which is something that was a challenge for NATO countries. I mean, we're learning from each other. And we're not beggars on the streets waiting for handouts from the American people. We are taking what we are getting from you. We are combining it with what we have. We're combining it with our knowledge of the enemy. We know this enemy better than you do. You've never fought this enemy. And so the doctrine that NATO has was theoretical. We are are developing a practical doctrine on how to defeat the Russians without air support, Brian. I mean, this, this is no, no NATO army, including the United States, would ever go into a war like this without superiority in the air, and, and we, are, we are developing a way to defeat this particular enemy in real time using your arms, using your uh, training combined with ours, and that's Ukrainian combined arms warfare maneuvering, and it's working. The American people that that, that your point about domestic budget and 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 military budget is a great one, because when I hear we should be using this money that we give to Ukraine to 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 hold immigrants off at our border, that's a false choice. You can do both. And and, you know, the the amount of money that even though it's a lot of money, it's 40 billion dollars. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of money to anybody. But it's it's like four to six percent of the Pentagon's budget. It's cost the American taxpayer fifty cents a day, and 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 this is our common victory. This isn't somebody else's war. You know, if we lose, then America loses. Then and, it means that China the wins. are going to come after the rest of the country,
3: and China wins. Uh, here's what Admiral James Tervita said earlier on another network. Cut twenty-eight let's
12: remember who's at fault here this is russia that has created this situation by blockading the black Sea, stopping the normal flow of these massive grain shipments which ought to be going to north africa the middle east the levant putin has weaponized food and in the as a side benefit of that that grain now is flowing to the east It is cheaper. It moves across the land. That's what's driving the discontent in Poland. So the problem, as usual, reverts back to Putin. And a good way to think about how to help solve this would be to break this blockade, get the grain shipments moving normally. And I'll close with this. NATO can do that. We we have the capability to escort grain shipments in and out. We have the capability to clear mines. There's some thinking there might be mines in the water. The big picture solution here is to break this blockade.
3: Yeah, it would do it. And I asked Stoltenberg that, the head of NATO, General Secretary, and he said, we just got to always judge by how provocative it can be. I got to bring it to, I interviewed to the president of Poland, and he was trying to say that you guys are in a bit of a tiff because of, Grain, uh, the grain sales. And he says, you know, our farmers have to sell grain too. And because of this disagreement temporarily anyway, they have stopped selling you guys or getting you guys arms. Are you guys going to try to settle this?
7: Yeah, it's, 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 look, we, we all have to understand that the, that there is an election coming up in Poland in mid October. And the, the ruling party, relies on the rural vote, the farmers of their, of their country for basically the bulk of their support. So I, I get what, what the polls are saying. Um, you know, they're escalating a bit of rhetoric to, for political reasons. You know, our, 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 our president and, and our, our people just need to tough this out. We're, we'll settle with the polls. We're friends. We're allies. Look, I, I come from Canada. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're at loggerheads with the United States over trade issues all the time. Um, we, we probably got about five to ten uh, disputes going on, but we're friends, we're allies, and you know, like like brothers, uh, we and and family, we we solve it. I have no doubt that that's what's going to happen. And but but you know, the general is like you know, your your four star generals are just your generals in general, are just just outstanding and, and and have this world perspective. And, and and General Stavridis is absolutely correct. You know, we're we need to we're breaking the blockade now. Where there are ships coming up. The coastline going through Bulgarian and Romanian territorial waters to get to Ukraine, and the, the Russians are afraid to, to to stop them because those are NATO countries. I mean that that should be a signal. They understand the Russians understand one thing, and that's force and resolve. And 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 if you start to back down, uh, you know they see compromise as a as a, as a weakness. And and this is this is a general message uh, to 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 Americans that. You know, if you keep your resolve and you and you maintain the the, the unity, then President President Zelensky talked about right. this in Washington. That if you maintain the unity of purpose that we have, we will win and this will be our common victory. Because you know, if, if we lose, the US loses, China sees us sees you as losing, Russia sees you as losing. And these are these are brutal dictatorships. They they don't want America. You know, in charge, they don't want America uh, uh, to 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 be a force in the world for good and and for freedom. I mean, they 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 hate everything that the that Ronald Reagan stood for, and you know we are actually implementing the Reagan doctrine because we are we are using American uh, made uh, kit, we are using American training, and we are applying it to defeat an evil enemy in the name of freedom. This is exactly what Ronald Reagan talked about, and, right? And frankly, you know, he he's a hero to us in, in, in Ukraine. But and uh, by the way, Daniel, and, I just wanna people are heroes
3: to us. This is Dan uh Dan Bilek with us. But the problem is the the messaging here has not been good. Uh the the president never talks about it. Our Secretary of State is out to lunch, he's not motivational. Jake Sullivan always looks like he stole somebody's wallet. And you, it's left to Republicans to explain it, like Lindsey Graham and Michael Waltz, And they're getting tired of it because they don't agree with the tactics. They don't agree with the slow walking of, of systems they eventually get. So I'll give you an example. Michael Waltz has been there multiple times, Green Beret, three bronze stars, said this. Cut 19.
0: He wants me to go to my constituency, American people, and say, keep digging deeper in your pockets we're not going to tell you how long. We're not going to tell you how much or the strategy you get there, but won't ask the Europeans to dig deeper into theirs. And I'll just leave you with this stat. Nine out of the 31 NATO countries have lived up to their 2 percent commitment. Germany just backed away from theirs despite their promises last week. So they're promising a lot. They're talking big. But what they're actually delivering is
3: a fraction of the military aid of the United States. So, I mean, that's the frustration of people who know what the right thing to do is. You're in a tough spot because we're we're providing aid. You can't be critical, but this is frustrating for people that want you to be successful.
7: Well, Brian, I can't I can't say that we are we are super happy about the the incremental approach, uh, you know. And you know, I, I guess I get that that some people in the administration in our in our and our European allies want to say, well, let's give them a little bit of this and see what they do. Let's give them a little bit of this, a little more. But, you know, we're now almost two years into this war, and you've seen what we can do when, we're, when we get, when we get what, we've, what, what we ask for, in the quantities that we ask for, in the time that we ask for. And, you know, we, you saw today what happens when we have long-range rockets. Uh, you know, this is a major blow to the Russians because they have been so—this is their command and control center for the Black Sea. So all these ships that are in the Russian Black Sea Fleet that are firing cruise missiles and ballistic missiles at our citizens, uh, killing women and children in, in markets, in their, in their homes when they sleep, uh, blowing up our, our energy uh, uh, plants, you know, we're, we're hunkering down for a cold, dark winter again because we know that they're going to come after those. There's yep. going to be repercussions. But Ukrainians are prepared to pay the price because we have no choice. Russia could stop this war tomorrow. They just go home. If we stop fighting, they will exterminate all of us. So we don't have much of a choice. We'll throw stones at them if we have to. Right. But, I mean, you know, we won't have to because we're, we're convinced and we know that our allies will, will stay gotcha. with us. And, you know, I have to say that you know, I understand what, what, what the congressman was saying. But, you know, Germany now has, has, is the number three supplier of weapons to us after Britain in gotcha. the United States.
3: Right. So, well, I Daniel, have, I have to leave it there. because everybody we have,
7: can stay together.
3: Yeah, I hope you stay together and stay safe. You're, you're out there in Ukraine, Daniel Bilak. Thanks so much.
7: Thanks, Brian. God bless the people of the United States.
3: You got it. Uh, and by the way, One Nation will feature the NATO General Secretary and the former President Poroshenko uh, in Ukraine. Uh, those are two, another reason to watch 9 o'clock Saturday night.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. fastest three hours in radio you're
7: with brian kilmeade from pennsylvania is a personal friend uh, but i
9: think we need to have standards uh, when it comes to uh, uh, what we're wearing on the floor of the senate and uh, uh, we're in the prox humor i
7: i i can't understand exactly what he was thinking at that point uh, i want to give him the benefit of the doubt until i speak to him but i think the senate needs to act on this
3: Senator Dick Durbin coming out saying Senator John Fetterman's ridiculous outfits should not take down the standards of dress for U.S. senators after 240 years. You got to be kidding me. Wear a tie. Wear a jacket. That's always been the case. But now Chuck Schumer, because Fetterman doesn't want to wear a suit, but not only doesn't want to wear a suit, he wants to look like a slob and thinks it's funny. So Chuck Schumer changed it. And amongst the people that are unhappy is Joe Manchin. Democrat, And you just heard the second-highest-ranking Democrat, Dick Durbin. It's like, why did you not check with me on this? And I have no answer for it. It's just dumb. I mean, as soon as Republicans get the Senate back, and I believe they are, especially with Dave McCormick in the fray in Pennsylvania, and how embarrassed there must be that Fetterman's representing them, Uh, as soon as they get that back, along with uh, kicking Tester out, it looks like Manchin's going to fall to Jim Justice, uh, the suit and tie goes back on. But until then, we're all embarrassed. Hi.
9: Good night, everybody.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. With me in studio, we're privileged to have him here right now. Uh, right after have to go into the Ukraine. We're back to uh, America. Dr. Todd Rose, co-founder and president of Populous and Wall Street Journal best selling author of Collective Illusions, Dark Horse and the End of Average. Uh, Todd, great to see you again. You too. So what is you would you like to take big picture questions and you have a unique way of finding out
9: really how the American people think different from going up to somebody in a mall with a clipboard. That's right. So we all know that People don't feel comfortable telling the truth about a lot of things right now in America. So we use what are called private opinion methodologies. Well-established. We didn't invent them. But they basically get around the distorting effects of social pressure by giving you anonymity and plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. So they, they tend to reveal insights that are private, but they become public later. So we were usually ahead of curve by a few years.
3: Right. And
9: what was your focus this time? Well, this time we were really fascinated by the kind of lives people want to live. So their view of a successful life. And how that ties to this idea of the American dream.
3: Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody (laughs) wants to be famous. Everyone wants a big car and a big house and go on vacation, right?
9: Yeah, we think that, right? So what's great about these methodologies is we we not only uncover what you think privately, your trade off priorities. Uh, In this case, we had 61 different attributes that you could choose from and trade off. We also ask you what you think most Americans would say. Incredible picture. So exactly like you said. When we asked, um, what do you think most people care the most about for success in the American dream? They think the number one attribute was being rich.
5: They thought they that thought, the
9: American people mm-hmm. thought. And guess what? That's actually ranked number 45 out of 61 in private. And th- these are methods you can't game. So it, we're, we are spectacularly wrong about each other as Americans. In fact, out of those 61 attributes, more than half of them, we were, had a 20-point gap or more in terms of perception and reality. We're just so wrong about each other. It's unbelievable. So how many uh, people did you sample? We study um, the final one is a couple thousand big, big enough sample to make you know good claims. Um, but you study several thousand in the lead up to build this stuff. So what did you discover? So look, here, a couple of things besides being spectacularly wrong. When you look at there, there are two things that I think are really important. So first of all, who the American public is in private. These are people that you would actually want to be around. Let's just take the top ten. It was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. The number one attribute that people will trade off for a successful life in their American dream was that they want to do work that has a positive impact on other people. I mean, that's wow. pretty amazing. Right. In that top ten was having a purpose in life, having kids, um, having uh, strong ethics, right? What's not in there and, when, in fact, in the bottom ten is all status-related variables, uh Like things like having a lot of luxury goods or having a big social media following, being famous, these are all bottom dwelling private priorities, but we think everybody cares about them a lot so it 's interesting because most people
3: grow up, they want to be sports stars, they want to be a Kardashian, this whole next generation grew up
9: on those reality shows, and but it 's not coming out it 's not and 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 but here 's the problem right so it's it 's one thing to say, hey, look, we don 't actually want those things." But because of these things we call collective illusions, Mm -hmm. because we believe this is what most people say is success. Well, I want you to think I'm successful, right? We like it when our our peers think. So we start to make choices, not based on what we want in private, but what we think other people will see as success. And and here's why this is a huge problem. We also studied how well you achieve on the things that matter to you, right? If you say you care about being a parent, do you have kids, right? And then does that matter in terms of how you view your life? Turns out- The more you achieve on your own personal priorities has a direct relationship to higher life satisfaction. Kind of makes sense, right? No amount of achieving on what other people think is successful matters at all for your life's uh, satisfaction.
3: That's what these people are telling you.
9: Yeah. So so when we correlate that, it's like – so the bottom line is this. Americans have a lot in common. It's a focus on character and community. It's on like purpose and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a pretty great thing. Except for we think everybody else is just about chasing a dollar, uh, being more famous than the next person, you know. What I mean? and, and 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 what makes you think that you're getting their real answer just because they have total
3: anonymity? So you just feel as though they're honest.
9: Yeah. So th- th- this particular methodology is called conjoint. It's been widely used for a long time. Um, New York Times ran a piece showing it was the best predictor of election results. As a matter of fact, and what it does is rather than ask you directly, like, do you want to be famous? Well, you know, there's probably a right answer there. Right. It embeds that every time you're asked, you're shown two people, person A, person B on screen, random grab of five of these 61 attributes yeah. versus a random grab of their five. Which one of those two is closer to your view of a successful person? You do it over and over again, and it allows you to trade off every attribute. But that way, sometimes being famous is embedded with being a good person or other things, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no way that we know in any one time what you're responding to. But let me come back. There's, I'll tell you the second thing that was just mind-blowing to me is the role of education in people's views of a successful right. life and their american dream so historically going to college has been like just a watermark of a successful life for a long time this this part of a broader we've seen, and you and i have talked about before in this research we just found it is now ranked 45th going to college Forty. No, I'm sorry. Fifty fourth. It's even worse. Fifty fourth out of sixty one trade trade-off parties. Wow. And what is the age bracket of the people you're asking? So we actually span the entire age range of the of the American public. And we see that same thing across all ages. College is just not a marker of success. Do you have any sense of how that was different 10 years from 10 years ago? So we've been studying it personally uh, for the last six years. Right. So we can tell so with private. So can you tell methods. me from the six years? So it's just been a steady uh, drumbeat downward. Um, and what we've seen is the illusion where we we used to think it was the top thing. And now people are starting to realize maybe other people agree with me. This isn't good. It's too expensive. It's not paying off in terms of the life I want to live. I'll, I'll put a finer point on this, which was mind-blowing. Because you might think maybe a, maybe a four-year college diploma is just not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, an advanced degree only ranks two spots higher, wow. 52nd. Here's what's awesome. Here's what I'm excited about. Getting a s- certificate in a skilled trade an electrician, a plumber. These are good yeah. jobs, right? Ranks 15th in private. Wow. It is. Now, of course, we uh, think it's completely opposite, right? We think everyone wants advanced degrees. No one wants because to Because we a know there's so
3: many openings in this. And, and they're good jobs. Right. Now,
9: here, here's my favorite point about this is. It,
3: okay, just wait? Yeah, please. Could it be that that's what they, they want to do, but society pressures
9: me to go to college? But of course It that, doesn't mean yeah, they're doing that. No, it doesn't mean they're doing that. Yeah. We're asking them, hey, what is your aspiration for your own life? Yeah. How would you think of something being successful? Here's what's great about the, the the skilled trade versus college. Now, even people who have advanced degrees like myself report getting a skilled uh, certificate being more valuable to them as success than a college diploma. Wow! So th- this this is is not the look. College is is still for some people. It's valuable, but it's got to keep proving its worth, and we've got to create more pathways for people to. Fulfill their American dream than what we want them to do.
3: And I don't know if this even possible turned up in your charts or your questions, but how many people's view of college changes because of how much it costs?
9: Well, that's certainly part of it, right? Because you're always trading off like this. Yeah, just I go to outrageous. college, but it's not
3: worth going into debt. It's not worth that $500 I got to pay every month.
9: Well, that's right. And, and, and here's some stuff that will speak to that, which is if you look at the top 10 trade off priorities. So much of them are about financial security, not, not getting rich, but like not being in debt, right? They don't want to be in debt. They, don't, they want to own a home. Uh, they don't want to have to worry a lot about money. And they also want to do work that's meaningful to them, that they enjoy. So when you start comparing that, say, hey, is this path through college, it's loading me up with debt, mm-hmm. and is it, is it necessarily paying off in terms of a job that I enjoy? Right. Maybe not. So interesting. Uh, how important is the age of the people taking? It doesn't seem to be that important to you. Um, no, so we want the whole range so we can make claims about uh, every demographic. Right. And let, let me give you a – Because people widely differ. Yeah, so you know. Here's what's crazy. It is true. Certainly true. Yeah. There are a lot of demographic differences. Um, let me show you one where there wasn't that was right. so surprising to me. Every single demographic, including all age ranges, would rank being actively engaged in their community as a top ten priority. Wow. Okay. Now here's what's really – we also asked people whether they were achieving on these things. You know, to see this yeah. in the top 10 being actively engaged in your community, only 33% of Americans say they are, even though it matters to them. In fact, more people report being debt free than engaged in their community at a the level they want to be. So interesting.
3: Now, what about the things that blend the different generations, Gen Z and mm-hmm. the baby boomers? Where do, where do
9: they agree? So they agree on a couple of things. One, they agree on the, the, the plummeting of college, right? <laughs> um, coming back to the community, this, this was so shocking to me. It is the one thing every age range agrees on. We need to get back to engaging in our community, right? Right. And get off the phones, get off the phone, get outside. Yeah. Stop worrying about how many followers you have and start engaging with people in real life. Right. And, and I think this bodes well as we get to the celebration of who we are as our birthday, the two fiftieth coming up, you right. think about rather than making it a political conversation, think about we as Americans, as part of our American dream, actually want to get back into our communities with one another. I think that's what it means to be American. And right. we've got to create opportunities for people to do that.
3: And even though you don't want politics into it, if I'm a politician, I need to
9: know this. Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing. Polit- when we look at collective illusions, politicians as a group are the most sensitive to these illusions because they hear these really loud voices telling them, oh, they think, this is, must be what my constituents want. No, no, no. These are the carnival barkers. These are the fringes being really loud. Who Me- show
3: up at everything.
9: Everything. And you're like, this must be what they want. This is where private opinion shines, right, where you can look and say, I know what my people really, really think. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're anchored to that, we can get somewhere. But when you're leading them down a, a dark alley of these collective illusions, you're part of the problem. And the American dream gets defined by Dr. Todd Rose again. And we'll talk about this on the
3: Saturday show. But for the American dream, for people just tuning in right now, your conclusion was?
9: It's alive and well. But it's being hidden right now because most Americans still believe what the American dream really was. It's about self-determination. It's about, do you get a chance to live the life that you want, not the life I want for you? Right. But they think most Americans think it's just about financial success. And it's not. Dr. Todd Rose, great to see you, Todd. You too.
3: All right. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. listen listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be back in just a moment. We're also covering the story. Senator Menendez has been indicted with his new wife. Uh, for embezzling money, or um, I guess uh, some donors were able to benefit of their relationship, and it links all the way to Egypt. Don't move.
2: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: I get like 5 a.m. flight and you just hear like all these little styrofoam bags. Everyone trying to open up the pretzels. 5 a.m., right? And if you were in your own kitchen at 5 a.m. and you opened up a cabinet and sort of pretzels, you
11: wouldn't eat them.
8: So we are
3: back.
11: That's Pete Coriel who will be on the show later, a little later in the show.
3: So he's, yeah, he's uh, teams with Sebastian, very successful podcast, yeah, great stand up comedian, podcast. and so he was. Uh, that was a little of his stand up.
11: He has a lot on flying and airlines and the food and being at the airport. So I really think we need to talk to him about uh, David Brooks. I feel like he'll have good a good take on it.
3: And so essentially, David Brooks was at a Newark airport and uh, at the terminal waiting for his flight. And he ran up a $78 bill, and he tweeted about it. He goes, this is the problem with America's complaining about, essentially. He tweeted that out because everything's so expensive. It was $78 for a burger and fries, but— And a drink. And a drink.
11: Which he's not wrong about. But, but yeah, what? what? He got like a double whiskey that was apparently like, what, $38 or $28. But it's just also obscene. But it, that is the cost of eating at the airport, as you and I know before we're flying places— what the other day we had before the debate, right? We each got a chicken sandwich and each got a drink. A hundred dollars.
3: Right. But with David Brooks is the is the formerly conservative writer for the New York Times. We've we got, got a month before show, yeah. very successful. Uh, but he's a big Trump hater and thinks America's lost their moral compass. Uh, among the other things, he wrote a book about morals and courage, and he's got a great sense of history. But he says, look, this is the problem. And they they identified the cut of the fries and the burger at Newark Airport. They went back there. They looked at his bill, and they found out.
11: He had like a double whiskey as well. They said, what, like 80% of the bill was his bar tab. Right. Um. So we haven't seen the, the, ta- the, the bill. What, but- can you believe they followed up to this degree on just one tweet? But I said I actually love everything about the story because I think they're all right. I think he is right that the prices are outrageous. Even if his, he did get a double whiskey, the fact you're paying 30 or $40 for it is nuts. But also that then the bar reacted to it and the person who tweeted about it did not get in trouble for calling them out. Right? How many stories do you do that someone gets fired for calling out the customer for saying something ridiculous?
3: Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, but they actually proved to be right. And you know what? It's expensive to drink. Now, I don't drink hard liquor. But beer is really expensive at the airport too. It's
11: eighteen bucks at the airport too. I mean, it's they get you. Not to say everyone's going there to drink, but if you're stuck in between flights and it's fine, you know, when you're flying and you're gonna expense it. But if you're like a family traveling and you wanna you have to stop to get some food, that's gonna cost you probably just as much as going to a nice restaurant.
3: And then that's pretty much the problem. Uh, I think David Brooks' taking a shot at Biden, which he almost never does. But isn't he talking about the economy there? Yeah, he's
11: saying like this is what people are saying when they like the economy is hurting their pocketbook. Um, so, and this new book coming out, which you know, hopefully we still get him on. It is about how people need to become like normal human beings again, and how what we said, um, like in schools, they no longer teach you like conversational skills and things to just you know make it as a decent human being. They're just so focused on making sure you're getting further along in calculus and math and you know reading just for the test scores.
3: Understood. Uh, I want to bring up something else. Uh, There's a government shutdown looming in about eight days, so they wanted to put together a continuing resolution to get them to October 31st, and with it, they were going to demand that there are more money for the border, more, uh, they wanted to cut out Ukraine support that the Republican led House, and a few other things that they added to, which were pretty impressive, but not for at least five members of the Republican caucus. Uh, the ones that are way out there, the Freedom Caucus, the ones that just don't want to do anything, and they want to oust McCarthy as if he's the problem. I know Boehner was the problem. I know Paul Ryan was the problem. And now Kevin McCarthy is the problem. Uh, obviously, I don't believe that. But here's what McCarthy said yesterday in a remarkable, a remarkable moment. Cut 41.
13: I don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea up and having the debate. And then you've got all the amendments that you don't like to bill. This is a whole new concept of
3: individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. That doesn't work. And, and that's so they're taking the weekend off. And I guess cool out and maybe get on a few phone calls. But the Matt Gates, the Andy Biggs. The Matt Rosendale, these guys aren't budging. They just said, we're not going to do a CR. We're going to just shut the whole place down. And Kevin McCarthy wanted to do appropriations bills. He promised to. Since he didn't, I just want to shut the whole place down. I, I don't understand why people go up there and they act so intransigent. Because people need to get things done when you're up there. When you see a Chip Roy and Jim Jordan signing off on it, they're as conservative as it gets. You understand, too, they still got to deal with the Senate and pass something in a week. Cut 40 is more from McCarthy. What we are
13: going to do, and remember what this is, it's not a CR, it's the funding of government for the next 30 days to get our work done. But in funding the government, we do something different that people did in the past. We actually put in there the securing of our border. Every city is becoming a border city because the White House ignores it. We believe we should secure our border, fund our government for the next 30 days, and in doing so, get that appropriation work done that the Senate never used to do before, work together and solve this problem
3: so what do you think uh it seems knowledgeable but i don't think mccarthy can do it i, I don't know who's going to change who's going to change their mind or who's going to give i don't think these next guys just want to do anything they don't want to spend They want to get into institutional spending the non-discretionary and i do too one of the things was to put together a group to study the debt and have to tackle it uh a la simpson Bowles that barack obama just ignored he goes oh this will never pass really Imagine where we were. I think we probably had $15 trillion in debt back then, maybe even $9 trillion. Now we're at $33 trillion. That was part of this. Crazy. White Republicans are sh- Literally, they deserve to and will get blamed for this. Uh, and, and McCarthy's not the problem. I don't know how to explain it to you. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: news radio studios in Midtown Manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show Brian Kilmeade
3: I've, I remember I think this is the time in which I talk welcome back everyone the Brian Kilmeade show so glad you're here Bobby Brock is uh, standing by in about 10 minutes and Pete Corriel will be here one of America's finest comedians works with Sebastian Maniscalco uh, with one of the top uh, comedy uh, information podcast in the country. He's going to be joining me on One Nation, too. Um, keep in mind, Teddy and Booker T come out November 7th. And just also let you know, I'm going to be live in the area, probably near you, from Montgomery, Alabama, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, on November 9th, I'm going to be in Red Bank, New Jersey. Just go to com. hopefully get tickets. Uh, it's How America Got Great. And we talk about Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. But everything, because I think it's time we got back to uh, putting America first, and why we are indeed an exceptional nation. So I hope everyone will be uh, will be there, and it'll be great. Uh, all right. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know,
8: it's Brian's Big Three.
10: Number three.
8: I think he's too old to be president right now. Like he doesn't know what's going on
10: right now. I see him diminishing. I
9: think he needs to be in front of voters to show that he's not the sort of doddering old man that the Republicans are trying to make him out to be.
3: But the problem is he is. 2024, a hope for Haley, more traction for Trump, extreme worry about Joe.
12: Number two. I
13: don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea up and having the debate. And then you got all the amendments if you don't like the bill. This is a whole new concept of individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. Wow. And they- that doesn't work.
3: Right. He did his best, Joe Biden, there. That's Speaker McCarthy finding out he did not have the votes to pass a continuing resolution or... To even kick it down the road in order to get a budget through normal order. Appropriations bills. Also losing support. The Ukraine war. A lot of Republicans are punting on it. Is that right? I say no.
10: Number one. We've already delivered over one billion dollars that Congress appropriated to states and cities receiving immigrants. I've requested more funding, but instead of stepping up with solutions, Republicans are threatening to shut down the government.
3: The border is blasted open, and the Biden administration solely to blame. But they want you to think it's MAGA Republicans. Not only do you not believe that, Democratic mayors and Democratic governors know it is Joe Biden's fault, and they are calling him out. Next to Afghanistan, the debacle, this is one of his most comprehensive, epic fails. I mean, I just remember, like it was yesterday, Admiral Kirby saying, I look at uh, Afghanistan and the evacuation. From my perch, I don't see chaos which is the biggest insult since Baghdad Bob said American soldiers were not in Baghdad. Now you have this, and I'll tell you, it is just horrific to see. 10,000 a day now, all-time record blasting through our border, cartels the fifth biggest business in Mexico. They have 175,000 employees, I think thousands of homicides. Do you get killed? But I mean, that means they they actually have to have a structure. They probably have buildings. They're renting office space. They have Christmas parties. These cartels have never been happier because of his incompetence, and the president thinks he's going to benefit from it. What stat? What pie chart is he looking at to think that the Democratic Party is going to benefit from this? So they've estimated: shocking, three point eight million people have entered the U.S. One point five million have got the so-called Godaways. Get this. Last month, 221,000 illegals have been flown in secret flights, maybe to your town, to that small airport that no one goes to, without making announcements to the mayors or governors. So you can't even be mad at the locals. They're not telling you, but you'll realize it when they show up in your classroom. Elon Musk, capitalizing on our great reporting for Bill Malusian, tweeted this out, and he said, strange out there, it's almost no legacy media covering this, meaning the... The breakdown of the border. Almost 2 million people from every country on earth are entering the U.S. southern border every year. The number is rising rapidly, yet no preventive action is taken by the current administration. Thank you, Elon. Also, Elon Musk, if you're listening, you have locked me out of my account because I changed my password, and you say it's for my own good, it's suspicious activity. I'm the suspicious activity. It's my Twitter account. I got all these hundreds of thousands of followers. Thanks for buying it. Please let me use it. It's been three weeks. I get back. How about this from Hillary Vaughn's reporting posted? Elon says, so they're saying, don't believe your eyes. Coming back from the administration. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the official government statistics. It also showed millions of people entering illegally. And that was coming off what Hillary Vaughn was reporting that the administration says things are that bad, uh, not that bad, and Republicans anyway uh, are to blame. So disturbing. But Biden actually got up and addressed this by blaming Republicans. And he did it in front of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. The only problem with Joe Biden is he called them the Black Caucus. So if you want to win over Hispanics, according to all the studies I saw, you should probably call them that. I guess. Don't you think? Cut one.
10: We've already delivered over one billion dollars that Congress appropriated. The states and cities receiving immigrants, migrants. I've requested more funding, but instead of stepping up with solutions, Republicans are threatening to shut down the government. Now, I think about this, man. Think how many people's going to hurt. Think of the people who are going to get hurt.
3: Right. Think about this. Uh, it's cost in this city, since he took office, $15 billion in New York City. Probably Chicago, Massachusetts is rocketing up. What's a billion? Number one, don't send us money. Seal the border. We'll handle our own immigrants. It's bad enough to have in a sanctuary city where you can't kick these people out that don't belong here. That uh, make a mockery of everyone who pays the fees and takes the test and tries to make a, a green card work and play the perfect game and try to graduate that to citizenship. It makes everybody seem like suckers for doing it. Instead of acknowledging the horrific situation and pledging to get it done, calling up Mitch McConnell and saying, How do we do this? How do I stop the border and then get somebody to sign up? Whatever your plan is, I don't think he has a plan. He's only been to the border once in his ridiculous career. Cut to
10: for decades immigration reform has been a bipartisan in this country. Unfortunately, the mega Republican Congressman of my predecessor spent four years gutting the immigration system under my predecessor. They continue to undermine our border security today, blocking bipartisan reform. So until Congress acts, I'm going to keep using every tool at my disposal as president. Okay,
3: I can't even hear this. You're, You're losing no tools. You're actually selling off for pennies on the dollar what's left of the wall that's been so effective. You're not pressing on Guatemala, taking away aid. You're not pressing on Mexico, say we're going to put tariffs on you until you snap out of it, making you put 20,000 people at your southern border. we got hundreds of countries coming through our border, but they don't get here on foot if Mexico stops them. And our relationships were so good uh, between the Trump administration and the current termed-out Mexican administration – That this Mexican leader was the last one to acknowledge that Trump actually lost the election. So we were tough on Mexico, but we didn't damage the relationship. It was mutual respect. I just got to mention two stories. It looks like we've just agreed to give Ukraine attackums, long-range missiles. I'm glad, but this is exactly what they've been doing for a year and a half. Why Republicans are driving, uh, uh, their heads are ready to explode, like as is mine. You want to support the cause. You, wanted, you said for no, a year and a half, no way, no way, no way. Give it to him. No way, Patriots. Give it to him. No way, Haimaj. Gave it to him. No way, we're not going to give tanks. Gave it to him. We're not going to give you F-16s, Training you on them. Now one tank has arrived, not one F-16s there, but they're going to, eventually. And that means they're eventually going to win. But along the way, you got to ask for billions of dollars and millions of dollars from the Republicans who are saying to themselves, I hate the way that you're prosecuting this, my people are mad at me for allowing this. I'm going to lose my seat because of this. I, I will not. I'll be damned. I will not lose my seat because of the incompetence and ineptness of this administration's slow walking. The other big story is Senator Menendez has been indicted again. They found countless gold bars, $480,000 worth in his house. I think the accusation and the indictment reads that he got some of this in uh, working and getting aid from three American businessmen somehow linked to Egypt. But I digress. So we're looking at a situation where now even the mayor and governor are considering getting rid of sanctuary status. But I doubt it right now it's lip service in New York City. And the governor is talking about getting rid of right to shelter and now saying, we don't want you to come. Please leave. Listen to what Kathy Hochul said on CNN. Cut three.
4: They're literally from around the world, Uh, West Africa, South and Central America. They're coming from all over. But we have to let the word out that when you come to New York, we're not going to have more hotel rooms. We don't have capacity. So we have to also message properly that we're at our limit. If you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else.
3: Listen to her. Look, that's true. Where have you been? Number two, when you said we're going to welcome everyone. Well, how do you think that was message? And if you want to blame the Governor of Texas, he sent about 35,000 people into New York. You've had over a hundred thousand here, and as soon as they come through, two weeks later, they end up here because there's more opportunity, more stuff to do. They end plus three meals a day. in many cases, they do your laundry, give you a menu. I want to, I want to be a, a legal immigrant here. And but these guys are supposed to have refugee status, you see some of them 25 years old, they got a gut. They're not starving to death. They're not being persecuted. Their country sucks. Ours is great. I know it. Not my problem. Here's Greg Abbott, Cup 5.
9: They promoted sanctuary city policies. They were saying
7: that they wanted to take care of any immigrant who comes across the border. And so we made it happen uh, in New York. Uh, And to be honest, they have just a trickle of what Texas has to deal with every single day. And if if they should get $12 billion dollars, Texas should get $120 billion. We're the ones who have to deal with this every
3: single day. 100%. Uh, I feel bad for Abbott. I feel bad for the people of Texas. I feel bad for those uh, those towns in Eagle Pass. When we come back, Bobby Brack breaks down what's happening with the media today, uh, the, the changes, and the writer strike he was talking about and wrote about. The fact is... The late-night shows are not around. They used to be a staple of American conversation at the dinner table, something to do at night. They haven't been around, and nobody cares. The beginning of the end for late-night TV, outside Greg Gutfeld, I think that's a story. We'll come back with that and then take your phone calls. Um, So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: Journalism has become activism, really. Uh, they're not looking for the truth. The ironic thing, and you alluded to it, for this pizza festival, like the very people who are now trying to threaten these pizzerias and be like, you were going to write a hit piece and associate you with this bad person... They are all fighting to shut these people down two years ago. They didn't want them open. I'm the one who was fighting to keep them open, raise money, keep small business. And then they turn around to these very people that we're trying to help save and say, you shouldn't do business with them. It really they have become activists. There's not an ounce of journalism.
3: That is uh, that is uh, Dave Portnoy uh, Barstool, who found out that they were doing a hit piece on him. And in the Washington Post, we called the reporter, We taped the whole thing, and it found out they were absolutely doing a hit piece, and they had no interest in his side of the story. Uh, we're also following this story. We're getting the details of the indictment of Senator Menendez. And uh, just like everybody else, innocent until proven guilty. But let me tell you, there's a lot there. Evidently, he was working out some type of deal with uh, Egyptian authorities using three businessmen, got gold, money, Mercedes-Benz. They look like they got him dead to rights, but we'll see. Bobby Brack joins us now from OutKick. Bobby, welcome back.
6: Brian, I appreciate it.
3: Hey, Jack Smith tried to get Senator Menendez once. Would you, you think they'll put it on the case? Put him on the case
6: again? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you here. I think you know. I don't want to be a hypocrite here because I've been saying over and over again, innocent till. Proven right. guilty. But there is a lot here. I mean, it's just uh, you, know, you go down the list and you go back to some of those New York Times reports that sort of absolved him of some of this. And then you see the evidence this week that just totally contradicts some of the reporting. So I'd have to say yes. Now, look, I um, Jack Smith is not someone who I usually trust, especially what's gone on the past few months here. But I think that there is enough evidence here where I think uh, they will get him this time. Bobby,
3: uh, first off, we were looking at these writer strikes last week. We were talking about Drew Barrymore coming back. We're talking about uh, Bill Maher coming back. We understand they're finally talking to each other again to try and destroy. They're doing their best to destroy their industry. Uh, You you write that uh, the unions put too much pressure on both and they just caved.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this this story is fascinating because you look at Bill Maher's case, um, he also. Backtrack. He has said he was bringing his HBO show back, and then he reversed course and said, Well, I'm going to delay my return. Sans writers. But I think some of the perception of Bill Maher is a bit different because what happened when Bill Maher announced his return, the WGA said that he was in violation of the union of which he's a part, and they'd, they'd acted like they would come after him and restrict his union rights. I did some research on this, Brian. Um, If Bill Maher was found guilty of violating the WGA, they can come after part of his pension. They can exile him from the union, and they can also restrict WGA writers from working on his show. So I I'm not sure that Bill Maher caved to public pressure as much as he caved to the union based on a threat that they levied against him, which I think, based on union rules, is quite valid.
3: Understood. Uh, let's talk about you. the late-night television shows have been off for three, four months. Does anyone care?
6: No, absolutely not. I mean, um, I did some re- reporting on this uh, over the past few weeks. Get this, Brian. James Corden show on CBS was losing over $20 million wow. a year. Um, and if you look at the ratings, revenue, and budgets, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, they're not generating enough revenue to even sustain their large salaries. I made the prediction a couple of weeks ago that in five years, one of the broadcast networks, be it ABC, NBC, or CBS, will move out of late night entirely. The business strategy is no longer adequate. They pay Colbert, Fallon, and Kimmel over $15 million each, and those shows hardly are generating enough revenue and profit to justify that Like Like what happened with James Corden, I expect those three shows to also be in the red in the coming years as money losers.
3: And are you also considering that they do get money online and YouTube and clicks and to that nature? Because that's where I heard that Corden made all his money.
6: Yeah, yeah, you factor that in. And the Tonight Show is doing that the best. They're making a lot of money on YouTube. That has offset some of it. However, when it comes to ad revenue, they're down about 40% from five years ago. So the advent of social media has not been able to sufficiently replace all of that 40%. So while it's helped, it still hasn't made up for the money they're losing.
3: Daily Show never, The Daily Show of uh, Comedy Central never picked a new host. I wonder if they'll even try now because no one even watches.
6: Yeah, and you're seeing this trend here. So CBS, they cut their late-night shows down to one. They're not going to replace James Corden. There's reports from the Wall Street Journal that that NBC is going to move Seth Meyers to MSNBC potentially. Wow. That would leave NBC with just one late-night show. TBS has moved out of late night entirely with Samantha B and Conan O'Brien gone. And you see Comedy Central, they're not even marrying themselves to one host. So the writing's on the wall. These networks are no longer investing time, resources, and finance into this genre.
3: It's incredible. I did not know that about Seth Meyers either. I mean, it's all politics anyway. You might as well just move over. I'm sure he yeah. won't get paid the same. He doesn't have the prestige. Hey, uh, Bobby, thanks so much. Follow him on OutKick. Everybody else does. When we come back, we have some laughs, we provide, we're riding the two breaking stories. Ukraine gets long-range missiles, and Senator Menendez gets an indictment again.
2: From his mouth to to your ears, (laughs) it's Brian Kilmeade.
8: A lot of dissension in this country right now. Don't worry, I don't get political. We don't have to worry about that. But whatever's going on in this country, it's our deal, you know? I just don't like when foreigners start interjecting. I was doing a gig in Toronto. I got a couple buddies in a Canadian. We're doing a few shows together, having a couple drinks afterwards. One of my buddies goes, yeah, you're President Trump. But I wouldn't want to have him run in our country. Uh, I couldn't even bite my tongue. I'm like, bro, I don't even know who your guy is. I want to put this in perspective, all right? I'm in your country, and I don't even know who the guy is. In Georgia. By the way, my guy is in charge of your country, too. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. Canada. Are you kidding me? I love the Canadians, but let's be honest. Eighty percent of the entire Canadian population lives within 50 miles of the American border. You understand what I'm saying? They're hovering over the velvet ropes, dying in it.
3: That is so funny. And, I've got, of course, there's Pete Coriel, who also thinks that's very funny. Uh, Pete has also <laughs> got a great uh, podcast. With uh, Sebastian uh, Maniscalco, and he used to live on Long Island. He did not tell me the town, but he doesn't live there anymore. That's all you Oakdale,
8: baby. I grew up in Oakdale. Oakdale. Long... Yeah. That, what did you do to... The, you left and Dowling collapsed. Is there a relation? I know. I used to grow up playing at Hide and Seek in Dowling County. What do they have there? Do you ever go back? Uh, I haven't been back. I went back. I was writing on a show for Kevin James, the comedian. We were filming on Long Island. They had a studio. With Mike Loftus? Yes, my yes. boy Mikey. Yeah, yeah, dear friend of mine. And, uh... One weekend I didn't go back. I lived outside of Buffalo now, so I usually fly home, but I didn't go back home. I stayed on Long Island and I'm like, I'm gonna go back to where I grew up and drive around like Oakdale. I even went to my elementary school on it was Sunday and I'm looking through the window and I lived on a dead end street called Pepperidge Road, I don't care, I'll say it right. And I'm and I drive down my dead end street. There's only like five houses on each side of it. It's uh South of Montauk, right by Great yeah. South Bay. This guy comes out and he looks at me, he goes, You Corielli? I said, Yeah. I go, yeah, I'm sorry. I grew up here. He goes, no, I know. I'm the guy who bought the house. So if your family, uh, years, and wow. years ago, wow. And he goes, want to come inside, take a look. And he let me go back in my house and walk around. Like I go in my bedroom. His son's in there. His son's like 18. He's watching TV with his girlfriend. You know, like I'm walking in in my, in my late 40s. How you doing, fella? I grew up in here. Yeah. He keeps looking at me like the hell out of my house. Right.
3: right. How, who yeah. invite you yeah. in? Yeah. Um, so so, Pete. So you used to live there, but now you live in a remote location. I've never been there, but I. Fredonia is yeah. in it's in the SUNY system, isn't
8: it? Yes, it is. Yeah, Fredonia College. I actually, ironically enough, went to college there years ago. How do you handle
3: the winter? Oh, isn't it brutal? On. It's not that. It's not as bad as you think. And do you well, use a moisturizer constantly.
8: No, I mean, it's you no. Know it's annoying. We get like three inches every day. You know, just just enough that you got to pull out the shovel every day, get, every day, every day. But like. The snow is like a non-issue in Buffalo. I mean, last year they had more snow because I did a show for the guys that cleared the snow. Yeah. They had a big uh, convention for all the guys that clear snow at airports, and they had it in Buffalo, and they had an award show. And I did a show for all these guys at Corporate Gate and they said that Buffalo had more snow than anywhere, including Anchorage, Alaska, and all the states last year. And, but they get it off, Bry. I'm telling you, man, within a half hour. They're I, done. Yeah, my parents were visiting with snow. My father's like, we're never going to get out of here tomorrow. I go, Dad, it's going to be like butter. They're going to scrape this stuff up before you know it. And he did. Oh, it's beautiful. See, it's
3: amazing because I was at the Super Bowl when Dallas had to get snow for the first time. Yeah. You've never, it was like the biggest calamity ever. Right. It was worse than the. Uh, the the tidal wave that hit Indonesia, you would never see it. The, the place was falling apart. The ice was coming down. People yeah. were getting hit by icicles. If you're not ready for it.
8: Yeah, it's all we get used to. Like I used to go vacation in Maine and there was this lake that was freezing. And I could barely go in. I'd just dip a toe and come out and hang out. It drove me nuts. It was out by Bar Harbor. But- Canadians would come down. I was looking at my wife going, look at them. They're acting like it's Miami. They're like playing Marco Polo in there. <laughs> right. and stuff. So it's just what you're used to, you know?
3: So how do you handle this politically correct climate that we're oh, in right yeah, now? I know
8: you're going to ask that, bro. You ask everybody that. Right, That's but, what but, you do. I listen you to, go to up... you every morning, bro. I get up at about 6.20. My wife's already making breakfast for my kid. I pop you on Sirius XM, start back at 6 a.m. Okay. Boom. Take you right in all morning, you know? Love the 8 o'clock recap because then we go hard on the Biden stuff again. We come back with more of that. So you
3: know the whole Fox and Friends format?
8: Oh, God. I know the whole thing. You could produce the show. Oh, oh, absolutely! I'm dying. I was hoping to run into Ainsley in the hallway just so she could tell me she's happy that I was born. You know what I mean? I'm glad that I was born. Here, here it is. Yeah. We're so glad you were born. I, know. <laughs> I want it face we're to so face. so glad. I love how sometimes we born. Deucey gets a little CNN on us. Just a tad. drives me that You ever hear him uh, when he gets a little? Well, we don't know how to am- get him out of there. Get him out of the room. He's getting too soft to Grandpa. Get him out. Right. So You put them back in check. You're like, oh, OK, really? Really? Were they talking about the weather? Is that it? Please, please. Well, we don't know, Brian.
3: Well, you yeah. do watch. But I will say this. I mean, there are certain things that, you know, you could say one would say or some people say. Mm-hmm. But let's be obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk to the Hunter Biden situation, yeah. most of the country knew nothing about it in 2020. Now the polls are overwhelming. Like 65 percent said Joe was doing something illegally with his son. Right. From 2020, they go, what laptop? I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, He doesn't even have a son, Hunter. Things have certainly changed about that story. Is it worthy of the stage yet? I mean, can you feel feel as though if you're traveling the country, doing something? You're going to be in Irvine, California, right?
8: Yeah. Can you
3: do that in Irvine and say, do you have any Hunter material?
8: Do I have any Hunter... Hunter crack hookers. (laughs) I mean... Well, actually, I got to say, I was filming with me and a a comedian buddy of mine were filming in Florida recently. I don't have any, like, per se Hunter Biden stuff, but the camera guy, he kept sniffing. And I was just about to drive the ball, and I look up, I go, guy, with the sniffing, are you serious? Like, I'm playing with Hunter Biden over here. And boom, everybody laughs because, like, that's already a thing now, you know what I mean? Got it. Yeah, so... So But overall... Uh, No, I don't really have any hunter. I do stuff about the president being old because that's kind of like it's it's not really political. Is he old? Because
3: yesterday he told two story, the same story Mm -hmm. about why he ran for president. Evidently, Charlottesville, he has some fiction about what actually took place there. He said, that's when I realized I had to run. A minute went by. He told the same exact story verbatim, according to the political reporter, not me or anybody else.
8: Tell me that's not a problem. Is that a problem? It is a problem, but sometimes, Brian, it's not even his age. It's like he was doing – it's almost – I almost wish he wasn't old sometimes just so he could be called on and what's the bigger problem is the just the, the flip flop and the changing I mean looking in the camera saying you get caught with a little bit of drugs, you're going to jail forever. That much, whatever it was, that much, that much in the 90s. That, and yeah, and now you can't you can't get the guy to look in a camera and just say, Mr. President, don't you think then your own son should be in jail? Like just answer it. Even the debates. People lie in the debates, and then they move on to the next question. What is the point of the debate? You know, you (laughs) could say, why are you wearing a white shirt? I'm not wearing a white shirt. It's black. Next question. How long are we going to stay on this? (laughs) It's ridiculous.
3: Well, that's what happened. I mean, if you look back, we used this a few times on the Saturday Night Show, which you also like, 9 o'clock, One Nation. Uh, We played back. Joe Biden basically lied his way through the entire debate. With help from moderators, right? And now, two years later, we all know it's all it's all fiction. Number one is I don't know anything about my son's overseas business dealings. It matters. Fifty one Intel experts said this was uh, this was classic Russian disinformation. Right. Can you imagine knowing that it's your son's laptop with the Bo Biden sticker on it, the right. Bo Biden Foundation, right. and then going? Yeah, 51 no. intel experts no. said it's classic Russian disinformation. I know.
8: Well, no. I mean, we, we all know, but it's probably, we're literally going to have to catch him. They don't him go putting, into the White House. He's going to have to be putting money in a sack, like literally money in a sack, and we're looking at him, and the money has to be mocked from the countries it came from for anyone to remotely think— what he did is is being involved. It's like he's getting the free pass and there's nothing you can do about do it. Do you think
3: on some level MSNBC and CNN and ABC and CBS all want Trump to win? Because did you see oh, when, wow. when Trump gets indicted, when he gives a press conference, whatever he does, yeah. has a town hall, they have something to talk about
10: wall to wall.
8: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, from a business standpoint, that's probably true. What I wanted to ask you, though, is do you think – like, like, let's say, hypothetically, you know, your wife crashes the car and it's costing you a lot of money and you forgive her. But then every time another bill comes in, you're getting mad and you're trying to bite your tongue. Do you think there's ever times Biden says to Hunter through all this, the president looks at uh, his son and says, yo, 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 this freaking laptop, what the hell are you thinking? You're killing me. I mean, how stupid are you? Could you be that stupid? Or like like how could you that not- Jill
3: separates has to pull i got pull him off him yeah right absolutely I I thought I you know what you are the uh, me and you are probably the only ones to say that I always said that to me can you imagine the moment when he realized right that the laptop was left there and it was his and they have everything they probably thought they were finished they had no idea that Zuckerberg right. everybody else was going to rally to make sure this uh, uh, this unbelievably true story. Was labeled as false. I know. Think about it. I know. And this uh, that one moment when he realized you did what. I know. And then as John Stewart, I think, hit around, or he no, Jimmy go- Kimmel said, yeah. "How about Apple Care?" Next time. <laughs> How about getting it? <laughs> Would you ever think about that? And they were kidding. The guy did a book tour, which is the most in your face thing you could do. I got away with it. Now I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to go do all the networks. I know.
8: The Who pays all of it, man? All of it. It drives me nuts. I, I mean, at least even now they're making him go into court. He wanted to do it from home. It never ends. It's unbelievable. Right. So he he was supposed to go into court. They they are making him go in. Yeah. No, I saw that finally. Right. Yeah. So. Um,
3: by the way, you're going to be at the Irvine Improv, whether you want to or not, on the 25th.
8: Yes, I got a whole uh, big tour coming up on the 28th. You're going to go from there over to Rochester. Who booked this? Well, I live can... only two hours away, so I figured. No, out I about know, me. but you got
3: to go from California all the way back.
8: Yes. Well, yeah, I got to do some stuff out in Cali, then I come back. All right. Do a quick show there. And then you're going to be in the bald uh, batter TV? You're naming all the comedy clubs later. It, it's all. I'm Who would doing, you rather I name? Well, no, I'm doing some comedy clubs before the tour gets going. And then I have uh, Pete Corrielli, the authentic tour. I'm doing a bunch of theaters. So I'm playing the important. Paramount out on Long Island. You get out of here. You got to come out to that if you're not doing a show what? at uh, 9 o'clock on a, on a Saturday night. Lord knows where you, you're probably doing something from your garage. Hardest working man in showbiz. Unbelievable. It, it sounds a little bit of an
3: attack rather than a, sl- a no, salute. No, bro, it's a it's compliment. Yeah. I don't, that's not you, how I'm taking it. Not
4: what you kidding it's, me? Okay, you my fine. favorite people. Every right. morning I listen to All right,
3: so, I, so you don't want me to read this. So
4: no.
2: You go ahead.
3: You want me to read
8: this. No, okay, go ahead. Whatever okay. you want, Brian.
3: No, i love to do your tour too, but I'm just saying you do want people October eight you do want people October 13th. At the Comedy Vault in Illinois, right? Yes, that would be great. You do want people on the, so that's the 14th, the other two shows, same Comedy Vault. And then you're going to be at the City Winery over in Boston on the 27th and on the 28th at Ridgefield Playhouse in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Absolutely. But you have something bigger. It's this tour. Tell me about this
8: tour. Well, no, no. Now you get into, those shows are part of the tour. You sure? Yes. Okay, great. Yes, yes. So how do you feel about that? You're going to be away a long time. Uh, no, I come home during the week, so, you know, it's all right. You, know, you got to do what you got to do. I was home all summer, which is fun. But then. You
3: Are got, you married? Do you have children?
8: I got a six-year-old, I mean, a 10-year-old daughter, and I've been married for like years now. Yeah, so. Right. We didn't she's, have a, o- she's okay with this comedy thing. Did
3: she know she was marrying a comedian?
8: Yes. I was just starting out when we got together and. Did you have another job? Yeah, I worked front desk at a hotel in New York City, you know. So I did that, and then I remember I was, I was at the point where uh, I got a chance to be the front desk supervisor at night at the hotel, which would, could eventually lead to a GM job. And I would see well, a hotel. We owned six of them. I'd see these young hotel GMs. They got a place in the hotel, yeah. bopping around the lobby in beautiful suits. I'm like, maybe this is the life. I like this, you know. But then when I was going to start this job, I was going to have to work nights, and I wouldn't be able to do stand-up comedy. I wasn't getting paid to do stand-up comedy. I was even mopping and sweeping at a comedy club in New York City for free. I had a college education, and here I am mopping and sweeping so I could get on last every night. So I remember it was the night before I was going to take the job, and then my wife, of all people, goes, what are you going to do? Is that what you want to do? You're going to be miserable. And uh, I never looked back, man. I'm so glad I didn't.
3: So that is so much better than the, I know you thought you married a hotel general manager,
8: but you're actually married a struggling comedian. Right. She She's the one who pushed you. I know. And so, you know how I know I did the right thing, Bri? Because I have never heard you interview a hotel GM. <laughs> so and I never would have been true. here, baby. They are so
3: hard to book. And they are always busy. You know? And the, our hours just don't line up. Uh, all right. So uh, I should say that uh, Pete is going to be on the show this uh, this weekend, Saturday night. Uh, we, we follow Mark Levin, 9 o'clock on One Nation Pete Corrielli, uh stand up comedian also your podcast with Sebastian. Yes. Going on over three hundred episodes, right?
8: Yeah, yeah. We usually do about one a week, every hour. Uh me and Sebastian Mascalco. We started out, geez, about ten years ago. Uh I don't know how familiar you are with him, but like he sells out Madison Square Garden, you know? He so. used to he used to come in here. Allison, <laughs> right? Allison
3: comes in, and Allison goes, This guy Sebastian is amazing. Yeah. He'll come in and you got him in. And Maybe
11: some like bananas and hack And, and Chris at Mazzilli was his
3: manager at yeah, the time. Yeah,
11: Mazzilli, yeah. Yeah,
3: so I've known Chris for a long time from soccer days. Oh, okay. And he used to come in and and before he was just great, uh, but not superstardom yet. Right. And those things struck me. You're probably the same way. I go to see him at Governors. Uh uh-huh. And he gets to the door and shakes everybody's hand at the end. Yes. I'm sure he can't do that now That's his credit card. But but how great is that? Yeah. He kills it, sells it out probably twice, right. and then shakes everybody's hands. Yeah. That's the attitude you need. I right? know.
8: I know. I actually started doing that more and more when I met him because he would do it. And then now when I, I do it all the time, as much as I can as well, like Paramount gets a little tricky. But then you know you meet somebody that like came a long way, you know. Because in my head, you know, I, you don't travel far unless it's Billy Joel. I mean, come on, what are you doing for me? You came far, but they do. They sometimes, do. You know, and you're like, gosh, imagine I didn't come out here. That would have been terrible. So you're right. so glad you did, and they love it, Brian. Right? So uh, does that mean you're going to come out of the Fox News building and shake hands out on the sidewalk? I just try to
3: duck. The, I try to duck the protesters.
8: <laughs> I'm, we're, I'm in hostile territory now. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, Pete Corielli, thanks so much. Don't move. We've got a couple more minutes in a moment, and then of course we're going to go downstairs. Uh, and rehearse. We have big rehearsal for the 9 o'clock show on Saturday. Back in a moment.
2: Brian Kilmeade, working up a sweat to bring you the latest news and opinion.
3: It's hard to look good and make sense when people are staring at your sweaty body.
2: Try not to stare. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Never seen people put the airline snacks in their bag, for later? Oh, my God. How
1: my trash is that?
8: What the? How does that even play out, man? Like, you're on your couch at home, and your wife's like, I'd love a snack. And you're like, get the Delta pretzels, baby.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Pete, the yeah. hardest part, was, uh Joey was going through all your material to produce you for uh, One Nation Saturday. Yeah. He's like, I can't pick it. It was just hysterical. Oh, that's nice. He just had you the guys. best... I mean, you—you've yeah. been obviously you enjoy yourself when you're on stage when you're doing that. Too. I try to
8: be conversational, but like well-written, crafted stuff. <laughs> but I—I I don't like to be someone who's like seemingly performing for you. But right. that bit right there about that, like you fly. Yeah. So when you guys get frustrated in the news about people thinking differently than us, which drives me nuts. How could they? All you got to do is walk into a Walmart or on a flight. Like, are, you, are we even all the same? Species? something I saw a dude sitting Indian style in the airport the other day, right in front of the gate, Indian style. He's dressed nice, eating his salad. Chairs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is going on? It's some subrates itself. Well, I said to my wife, I go, you ever? We were in Walmart the other day. I go, guy, you ever look around Walmart and just think? I can't believe some of these people's vote counts as much as mine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I said on stage, I'm sorry. Well, you feel it's yeah. just all so therapeutic for you too because you're thinking it. Real quick, David Brooks, a known writer in the yes. New York Times, uh, best-selling author. He's been on here before. Went to Newark Airport, and he, uh, he orders a meal. It cost him $78. He goes, a burger and fries cost me $78. Took a picture and tweeted it out. They followed up. They go, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They actually looked at the cut of the fry and figured out where he got it from. Found Some crazy person found out what he spent it on, and they posted it. It was $78 because he had two whiskeys. Oh, my God. So now they're killing that. him yes. online because he had two whiskeys. <laughs> Inflation was the story, but he kinda of blew that up. He kinda of blew that
8: up a little do you not do only that, Did he blow it up? It almost, you know, defended the inflation because you're like, wow, a burger fries and two whiskeys for seventy eight? <laughs> That's not bad. I, th- I think I'm gonna bring my family. <laughs> Where is that place? Yeah. You know? And it must be top shelf whiskey because he forgot he even ordered it.
3: Hey, uh, to
8: get tickets to a show,
3: where do we find? Do you have one site we
8: Pete go? PeteCoryelli. dot is the best place to get all your tickets for my shows. Really? Do yes. you get additional
3: revenue from that? No, or just not make at it all. Easy.
8: You make it easy. You it's should right work there. out
3: where it costs more to go to your
8: website. <laughs> we got
3: to get. We got to make sure you can retire soon.
8: Oh right? uh, yeah, well, I don't have time for that yet. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Pete, we'll see you Saturday night, nine o'clock. Thanks, Brian.